Well, before we dive into God's word, I want I get the privilege of letting you know that um, every year at during Advent, we receive a special Christmas offering. So we do a special Christmas offering every year. We ask everyone to give above and beyond their normal giving so that uh, towards something special, towards something that's going to make a big impact. Um, the idea is that, you know, all of us can give and all of us should be generous, but we realize that especially at Christmas time, if we can pool our gifts together, we can make a larger impact on our church and on the city. And, uh, and this year, we are going to work together and make a huge impact. And I know that lots of organizations at the end of the year ask you for money. Like everyone sends out their mailers, everyone sends out their emails asking for year-end gifts. And I want to just ask you the question, what if your year-end giving could actually make a difference in San Diego? Like this city that we as a church exist to renew. Like our hope is that our presence here in San Diego would renew the city. What if your year-end giving could make San Diego a better place? Um, what if your year-end giving could also help people in this church family? Um, and so this year, with our Christmas offering, we want to do two things. We want to care for our church, and we want to serve our city. Okay, our goal is to raise $15,000. Okay, that's above and beyond our normal giving. And I can't wait to share with you, every week over the next three weeks, we're going to highlight in more detail where the offering is going to go to care and to serve our city. But I want to just give you the highlights. So I'm going to give just a broad overview. And then each week uh, with the rest of Advent, we're going to go into the details. And so in, in caring for our church, so in the idea of caring for our church, um, we are going to fund really two main things. First, something that we're calling Harbor City Counseling. Harbor City Counseling. We are going to expand our relationships with a few local counselors that we trust so that we can help our people who need it to find counseling and to be able to afford it. Some people need it but can't afford it. And so your money is going to go to help people who need counseling to be able to afford it. And then also in this area of caring for our church, we're going to send some Christmas parent, uh, some Christmas presents to the part of our family that lives in Uganda. So the Forrest family, we got a hold of their Christmas wish lists and we did some, we did some research. And, uh, and so we're going to be buying some gifts to send to the Forrest family um, for Mike and Casey and for their kids. And so this is for some of the things they want and that they need. So that's in caring for our church. And then in serving our city, we're going to continue to support our city partners, David's Harp and Servant Church. Um, these are organizations that are doing incredible work in the city, and our partnership with them is an amazing step for us to continue to promote racial reconciliation within our city. Um, these are, uh, it's a church and organization that serves people of color, and for us to be able to uh, take another step in partnering with them uh, it helps us to step toward building unity and reconciliation and understanding across racial and ethnic lines. So we're going to care for our church and we're going to serve our city. Again, we'll give you more details in the next few weeks. Um, we're going to receive this special Christmas offering on December 13th and 20th. Okay, so the last two weeks of Advent, uh, we're going to have special offering envelopes that will be in your bulletin starting next week. Um, and you'll also be able to give to the Christmas offering on our website. So harborcity.church slash give. We'll have a drop down in the menu. You can give to the Christmas offering. And so 
what I'd like you to start doing is I'd like you to start praying and just asking God, God, how would you like me to participate? And how much would you like me to give to be able for us to make this significant impact? So, um, so let me pray and, uh, and then we'll transition to God's word. Pray with me. Father, thank you that at a time like Christmas, when you have given the most incredible gift to us, we can take some special funds out of our even sacrificing what we would normally buy and do good for others, that we can imitate you in the gifts that we give. We pray that you would bring blessing um, not only to the money that's raised, but to our growing partnership with our city partners, but even for us to be able to care for each other in more particular and more personal ways. And so bless our Christmas offering. And now as we turn to your word, we pray that you would open our hearts and help us to begin again to see the glory of Christmas and all that it means. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Advent is the four-week season before Christmas that remembers that remembers that God himself came to earth. Like, I don't want that to lose its specialness. Like, as much as we celebrate it every year, you have to realize that's amazing news, that God came to earth in Jesus. And so we've got, in the stories of Christmas, we have Mary and Joseph, we have the manger, the shepherds and the angels and the magi, and all of these characters, all these events, they teach us the five themes of Christmas that are highlighted by the five candles on the Advent wreath. So we have four Sundays, and then we have Christmas itself. And the first candle, the first candle on the Advent wreath is the prophecy candle. Okay, the prophecy candle. And so quick shout out to our kids that are here and also online. And uh, I know families, it's rough, but not even just for families. I know if you're online, it can be difficult to feel connected. And I just want you to know if you're tuning in online that we see you, we care about you. Um, we know that some of you should not be here in person because of COVID. And so we support you in not being here, but we just want you to know that we love you and we're grateful that you're tuning in to try to be connected even virtually. Um, and so, but I know some of you kids, you're sitting on the couch with mom and dad, or you're sitting in the room and you're working on something, you're drawing, you're coloring. Um, but I want to ask you a question, kids. Kids, what is prophecy? Like, what is a prophecy? It's a prediction, right? It's a prediction about something that's supposed to happen in the future. Well, with God, when it comes to God, prophecies become something really special. They become really special because with God, prophecies are his promises. Prophecies are the promises that God makes. And if you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is full of promises that God made right? There's so many promises for God to save his people, to rescue them from sins that they commit, to rescue them from the hurt and the pain and the anguish that comes from what other people do to us. And God made promises to both to come and to be with his people. And so this week, the first Advent candle, we celebrate that on Christmas, God's promises come true in Jesus that the promises of God come true in Jesus. And so this is what Christmas is. It's one of the themes that God makes all these promises and they come true when Jesus comes to earth. And so 
as I was thinking about Christmas, I want to ask all of you a question. How's your wish list coming? Right? How's your Christmas wish list? Have you done it? Like, I think Amazon is one of the most popular wish lists, I think, around. Um, and the wish list asks you the question, like, what do you want for Christmas? Right? What do you want uh, for Christmas? We have a multi-billion dollar industry that is built around us trying to get more and more and more stuff. Right? More stuff. And so, and what you want for Christmas is a huge part of that. Now, it's amazing. It's wonderful to be able to give gifts, to be able to get gifts on Christmas. Gift giving can be a way to image God's love and generosity on Christmas. You ever thought about that? That when you give gifts, you're actually giving, you're getting an opportunity to image God. You're getting, you're getting an opportunity to be like God. That gift giving can even help you commune with God, can help you experience God. Because when you're generous and you give a gift to someone, you can better understand God's own generosity. And so what you want for Christmas can be a really wonderful thing. But what do you need for Christmas? You thought about that? What do you need for Christmas? Think about this question because Christmas is the time when people celebrate that God came. That God came to earth. That God is now with us. That's what Emmanuel means. It means God crossed from heaven to earth to come and to be with us. That God entered into our existence. That God joined himself to us. Like God honored us as human beings by becoming one. And so what do you need from this? What do you need from this reality that God came to earth? Like what needs do you have that the real Christmas addresses? This is what we're going to look at during this Christmas season of Advent. And so our Advent series is called What We Not Want, But What We Need for Christmas. It's what we need for Christmas that we're going to look at. And if we're honest, we don't always know what we need. You know, we might think we need things that we don't, or we might not understand that we have needs. And so what we're going to do this season, is we're going to look at the Bible, and we're going to see what God says that we need. And so we're going to look, we're going to return actually to the book of Romans. We're going to look in Romans 7. That's where we were when the COVID outbreak began, way back in February, March. And so we're going to go back to that series. We're going to continue to go through the book of Romans. And at the end of Romans 7, over the next four weeks, we're going to see four things. One thing each week that we all need from Christmas. Okay? And we're going to see that as Jesus meets these needs, as Christmas comes and ministers to us where we need it, it's going to bless us. It's going to change us. And it's going to help us to share the joy of Christmas with others. And so today we're going to see first on our Christmas need list, the first thing that we need from Christmas is a promise. Okay, we need a promise. And we're going to focus on Romans 7 verses 18 and 19, uh, but I'm going to start reading from verse 8. And these verses are in your bulletin. There's a place there to take notes as well. And so this is Romans 7. We're going to start in verse 8. It says this, but... Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds 
of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once apart from the law. I'm sorry, I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. The law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So there's some confusing stuff here. And it's just, Paul is describing the author here. This is the guy who wrote half the New Testament. He's describing his struggle with not doing what he wants to do. He's, he's describing that there's something going on inside of him that he doesn't like, um, and it causes him to do awful things. So verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do not do what I want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Okay, then we're going to camp out here on verses 18 and 19 today. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. One of the things I love about this passage is how real it is about the struggles of people. Like this is such a real description of what goes on inside of us. And, and I want you especially to look at the end of verse 18, that second sentence there. Paul there says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Do you ever feel that way? <laughs> right? I mean, this is so real. That's right. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? It's another place. I have the desire. I want to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to do it. If you have ever felt this way, so did the guy who wrote half the New Testament. It's a big deal. I want to, but I can't. I want to, but I can't. I want to, but I can't. The reason that this is in the Bible is because God wants you to know that this is part of a relationship with him. Some people have a misguided notion that when you begin to follow Jesus and God rescues you and you're born again and all these amazing things happen where God's spirit is poured in you, that all of a sudden now you don't sin anymore. All of a sudden now you live above um, above sin. You're not, you're, not in, you're not enslaved to sin anymore and, and that God is working in you. And so you just don't do those things anymore. And this verse 
I think, encourages us that actually that's not the whole story. It's not the whole story. And so this is one of the things that I love about the Bible, that it speaks in ways that surprise us with its honesty about human experience and how difficult things can be. Most people are not willing to admit these things about themselves. And so I believe that God inspired Paul to write this, to make room for it in the church. To make sure that everyone would know that if this is your experience, you're not alone. I want to say it this way, and I want you to hear this. I want to give this to you as a gift because this is what God is saying to us today. Sometimes all that you have to offer to God is that you didn't want to. There are times when you are filled with God's spirit, when you are excited about loving him and loving other people. There are times when you are triumphant over sin, when temptation comes and you're like, I'm not doing that. Are you crazy? I'm not going, I'm not doing this. Like that's my old self. That's not who I am anymore. Oh no, I love Jesus and I'm putting him first, right? There are times when people will come and push all of your buttons and somehow by the miracle of your union with Jesus, you respond and you're like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You respond to their anger with patience, right? You respond to their slander with forgiveness. But then there's other times, right? There's other times where the only thing that you have to offer to God is after you failed to say, God, I really wish I hadn't done that. This is just real. Sometimes all you have is to say, God, I wish I didn't continue to sin in the ways that I continue to sin. God, I wish this addiction didn't have a hold of my heart. God, I wish this behavior, I wish my sexual brokenness wouldn't continue to manifest itself, and yet it does. God, I wish that when I was in this situation with this person, I wish I wouldn't continue to lash out the way that I do. If you've ever felt this way, so did the apostle that Jesus himself called. And I think that what these verses are doing here in this passage is that they're telling us, if you feel this way, God still loves you. God still loves you. And when our best selves are present, this isn't an excuse for us, right? But it's, it is an honest expression of love. Like after you failed, sometimes saying, I wish I hadn't done that is the best expression that you have. It's the only thing that you have to offer. And I think often this ability to be this honest and to be honest about this, that like I have the desire to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. Sometimes being able to come to that place and say those words to God is the beginning of a process. 
sometimes it's the beginning of you working on things and bringing more of the power of Jesus to bear in that situation. And honestly, what we need here, what these verses prompt us to realize that we need is that we need a promise from God that this is okay. We need a promise from God that if this is our experience, that he still loves us. I think the Bible speaks like this because God wants us to be able to connect to him wherever we are, in whatever situation we find ourselves. Um, There are times in the Bible, everyone knows this, there are places in the Bible where God tells us stuff that we're supposed to do, right? There are commands in the Bible, do this, don't do this. They're in the Bible. And when we have faith in Jesus, we follow them. And when we follow them, we sort of connect to God. Like obeying God, it's not about like checking off boxes. Obeying God is meant to connect us to God so that we can experience his presence. When we do what God wants, we like offer up to him, God, this is what we have. We want to put you first. We want to obey you. And that connects us to God. Like that's why the Bible has commands. It's so we can connect to God. Because God wants you to know that in every area of your life, you can get to know him. You can experience him because his commands tell us what he's like, what he wants, what he thinks, how he feels, and we can be like him. And so we connect to him when we obey his commands. But here's something you might not know. The Bible is full of so much more than commands. In fact, more of the Bible is full of things that aren't commands than are. It's huge. It's super important to know that. More than commands, the Bible tells us more often than God commands us to do stuff or not do stuff, more often the Bible tells us what God has done for his people. This is the good news of the gospel. In fact, the Bible spends way more time telling us what God has done versus telling us what we're supposed to do. And this is huge. You probably didn't know that. You probably thought, no, especially if you're not a Christian, you probably thought, no, 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 the Bible's full of commands that are meant to make me feel guilty. And if I feel guilty, then I have to grovel to God and then God might forgive me, hopefully, who knows. But that's just not what the Bible is. Because when you read the Bible, you see it for yourself. Like, and, and, and Christmas, even, Christmas is all about what God has done for us in Jesus. And there are certain places in the Bible that speak to us in another way besides commands, even besides telling us what God has done, there are more passages in the Bible that make space for you to know God. There are places in the Bible that are written there so that you will know no matter where you are, you can know God. There's hope. And these passages are designed so that if you ever feel like God doesn't love you anymore, if you ever feel or ever think that there's no way that God can love you after what you did, after what you thought, after how you reacted, the Bible has verses that tell you, you are not alone. In fact, you're in the same place as most of the heroes of the Bible. This is one of the kind of the surprises that happens as you actually read the Bible for yourself. When you read the Bible, you find out that all of the famous people in the Bible had huge flaws. Like the Bible is not a book of heroes because they 
were obedient in amazing ways that triumphed over all these awful things, but like the Bible is full of heroes who trusted God in difficult situations, who didn't let go of their relationship with God even when they failed. And so you have to understand this. You've got to get this. It's huge. It's important. It's a big deal because this is what Romans 7 is. Romans 7 was written so that no matter how much you struggle, no matter how bad you think you've been, say it with me, you are not alone. And so this passage, I think, it digs like the deepest well. It goes into the darkest parts of our lives to find us in the worst places and it finds us and it brings us to God. Like that's what these two verses are for. And again, if this is describing you, you are not alone. You're not too far away. In fact, you're in the same place as the guy who wrote half the New Testament. And so what this does, like this creates space for you right now so that you'll know that you're not alone wherever you are. But this also gives us an honesty about how God says we can describe our experience of walking with him. This is telling us that there's something powerful that happens when we get honest. That honesty with God deepens our relationship with him. That our experience of God is often determined by how honest you are with him. Um, And it's not just with God. Like the same thing happens with each other. The depth of the relationships that you have in the family of God with other people is often related to how honest you are about where you are and how you're doing and what you're struggling with. The more honest you are, the more you tend to feel the love of other people because they actually know you because you're actually showing up and you're being real. And I think for me, as I read, if you just read these verses, I think it's great that they experience, or it's great that I find my own experience and I find that this is a description of of my own experience in life, my own struggles. But this highlights the fact that we need a promise from God. We need a promise from God that, that when all we have to offer him is that we didn't want to, we need a promise from God that says, that's enough. Like, that's acceptable. And I think we get that promise from Christmas. We receive that promise from Christmas and through Jesus. The prophecy candle on the Advent wreath that we're going to light here in just a couple of minutes, that, that this candle is a picture for us of God's promise that in our darkness, God, through Jesus, has brought the light. And when we are honest about where we are, God meets us there and brings the light of his love to bear in our lives. And so, um, and we see this in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. We see the promises of God coming true. 
Um, the, these verses are in your bulletin. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then here are two promises in verses 21 to 23. It says this, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so we have here a prediction. There's a promise from God. You name him Jesus. Why? Well, because the name Jesus, it's, it was pronounced Yeshua, kind of like the word Joshua, kind of like the name Joshua. And so the name Jesus means that God saves. <clears throat> That's what Yeshua means. It means God saves. And so there's a promise here that Jesus will save his people from their sins. This is a promise from God that comes true at Christmas, that Jesus is the one who will save his people from their sins. Verse 22 goes on, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is the fulfillment of a word spoken by the prophet. This is a prophecy. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so what Matthew is saying in the writing of his gospel is he's saying that at the birth of Jesus, there came a new meaning, a new realization of God's promise coming true in the birth of Jesus. And that Jesus being born meant that God is with us. And so what we see here from these promises that come, through, come true in Jesus is that if you have the desire to do what is right, but do not have the ability to carry it out, Christmas says that Jesus will save you from your sins and that God's presence will be with you. That your sin can't push him away. Your sin doesn't drive him away but Jesus leans into you. Jesus responds to your sin by coming to you, forgiving your sins, and then being in a relationship with you. And so in the midst of our struggles, um, I remember the line in Oh Holy Night, we'll sing that coming up soon, right? It says, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. If you're struggling today with sin, with brokenness, with addiction, with pain, with anguish, with relationship frustration, you need to know that God's promises come true, that your sins are forgiven and that God is with you. One of the best ways that I have ever read to drive this point home is from a book called The Marrow of Modern Divinity. It was written a long time ago in the 1600s by a guy named Edward Fisher. And he says this, he says this, he says, since you have believed in Jesus, you are now wholly 
under the gospel. No one can say to you now, do this duty and avoid this sin. And if you don't, God will condemn you and damn you. No, no, no. You who are justified are now set free from the commanding and condemning power of the covenant of works. Therefore, even if you do transgress any or all of the Ten Commandments, you still don't transgress your relationship with God because your relationship with God is not based on works. And therefore, if you ever hear a voice threatening hell and damnation to sinners and transgressors of the law, even if they are from the Bible, yet do not think they are spoken to you. No, no, the apostle assures you that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And if that condemning voice should come into your conscience and say, you have sinned and therefore you owe divine justice. If it ever says good works must be done and the commandments must be kept if you will obtain salvation, then you answer and say to that voice, I am already saved before you came. And therefore, I have no need of your presence, for in Christ, I have all things. I need nothing more that is necessary for justification. He is my righteousness. He is my treasure. He is my work. I confess, O law, that I am neither godly nor righteous, but yet this I am sure of, that he is godly and he is righteous for me. And to tell you the truth, O law, this is what he says to say to the law when it comes, when that voice comes to condemn you, he says, tell it this, I am now with him in the bride chamber, which, where it makes no matter what I am or what I have done, but what Christ, my sweet husband is, has done and does for me. Friends, this is the assurance of our justification. This is the assurance of our salvation in Jesus, and this is the voice of God. That because of Jesus, you are forgiven and accepted and secure. We need a promise from God that this is acceptable to him. That if you just have the desire, but you don't have the ability, that that's okay with God. And Christmas is that promise through Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for coming. And we confess that so often our minds and our hearts and our eyes are distracted from this, the meaning of Christmas, the real meaning of Christmas that meets our deepest needs. And we get caught up in so much other stuff. We thank you for calling us back and reminding us of your promises coming true. And we ask you, Jesus, to help us to receive this reality, to remember that in the moments when all we have to offer is that we want to, but we can't, that you still love us and that your love is more powerful than our brokenness. And we pray that as we prepare to light this Advent candle, that it would become a commitment for us, a commitment to your promises, 
And I pray, Lord, for those that are here that are online and they don't know you yet, that this would be the day that they would commit, would commit their lives to you. If you want to do that today, just pray. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I need your forgiveness. Pray that prayer and come and talk to us. And we'll help you to walk with Jesus. But Jesus, we love you and we thank you. We pray in your name. Amen. At this time, we've got the Guthrie family. They're going to come up and they're going to lead us in a responsive reading. You've got a page in your, in your bulletin. There's also, if you're online, we're going to have slides on the screen so that they're going to do some reading. We'll have a responsive reading and then they're going to light the Advent candle. Good morning, everyone. Isaiah 9, 6. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Why do we light the Advent candle? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What is the first Advent candle? The prophecy candle. Christmas is when God's prophecies came true in the birth of Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. He saves those who confess their sins. Jesus, we confess that often we are not what you created us to be. Sometimes all we have to offer you is that we didn't want to do what we did. From our darkness, we look for the light of your promises. You are the way God's promises come true. You came to save us from our sins and to accept us as we are. In lighting this candle, we receive the good news of Christmas. Thank you, Guthries. Um, we want to remind you each week um, that... Uh, to be able to give to support the church in its worship and its work. So we talked about the Christmas offering before. That's a special offering. We want to remind you that as we enter into December, it's important to remember your normal giving, your normal tithes and offerings that you give to support the work of the church. So I want to encourage you to do that. There's a basket next to the, uh, the sound table that you can put your gifts in. There's uh, giving envelopes in your bulletin. Um, you can also give online. Um, I figured out the way to do text to give. And once you set up your account, it's super easy. Once you have your account set up to just text the amount that you want to give, you can do that as well. Um, but I just want to encourage you again, as the year comes to an end, to continue to support our church so that we can continue to be a blessing and bring 
not only the assurance to our own hearts, but be able to spread the real meaning of Christmas uh, in the city. So let me pray. Father, thank you for the greatest gift uh, that you have given us in Jesus. Um, Receive our gifts, whether we give them today or we give them during the week online in different ways. Lord, we give you our gifts and we ask for you to receive them because we offer them to you in response to the amazing ways that you have given grace and love, understanding and blessing to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you now to come to the Lord's table. If you want to commune with Jesus through the bread, the wine, and the juice, make sure that you have elements with you. Um, They're on the back uh, welcome table. If you don't have them, you can grab those. If you're online, grab some bread, some wine, or juice so that you can join us. Jesus wants you to know not just that there's a general promise to everyone, not just that God loves the world, but God loves you. God loves you, and he wants you to know that his promises are true for you. And so we get the assurance of that here at the Lord's table. And so um, I want to encourage you to receive the gifts, the bread, the wine, the juice, as expressions of God's love for you, that he both forgives your sins and he is present with you. I feel like the bread pictures God's presence with us, and then the wine, the juice pictures God's forgiveness of us. And so let's pray and ask God to meet us here. Father in heaven, take this bread, this wine and juice and strengthen our hearts to commune with you. Help us to experience your power, your love, your understanding. Let it wash us clean of our own sins and build us up so that during this Christmas season, we could be a gift to others as we share your love, your grace with them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all would take these glorious Richard Walker pancakes, the bread that we get to enjoy each week. Um, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and eat it. This is my body and it's given for you. Eat this and remember me. Let's eat it together. May the body of Christ assure you of his presence with you now throughout your week. And then Jesus took the cup. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. My blood will be shed so that your sins would be forgiven. Drink this and remember me. Let's drink it together. May the blood of Christ wash away your sins and may it be for you the cup of salvation. Brothers and sisters, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we commune with Jesus. 
He washes us clean and he builds us up with his own strength and the power of his resurrection. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Let's now stand and worship him.